Hey everyone, we're live now on the Conversations That Matter podcast. I hope you're all having a good evening. It is a cold evening here in upstate New York. I was just outside and I'm glad I'm inside now. Uh, we have a uh, number of things to talk about. I debated this morning because I knew I was going to do a podcast today. Uh, what exactly I would talk about because there was a couple different things. But uh, uh, I, I thought about talking about some general news and decided against it because uh, there's there's so much stuff in evangelicalism right now in Christianity uh, that I, I think needs to be talked about. And of course, my day started with many of you have probably already seen it, but the clip from Alistair Begg. So I'm going to incorporate that at the beginning of this podcast. But then we're going to talk about some other figures and really some things that I've been putting off uh, just because of the holidays and then travel and uh, but I, I want to talk about this issue because I do get the questions and it is a, something I think about. What do you do with people who, especially leaders, who went along with the CRT narrative, the BLM narrative, perhaps the COVID narratives? They, to be honest with you, they've let wolves in at times uh, or at least uh, destructive ideas uh, into their churches. And now it's a few years later. and. The political winds have changed in their church, and it's more convenient, depending on where you are, uh, to, when I shouldn't even say convenient, but it's it's more acceptable to cr critique those things, because now we're on the other side of them, and we know that things got too out of hand. What do you do with people that oppose ideas that they once held without acknowledging it, without repenting, without telling you that they are doing that. And, and of course, we talked about this quite a bit. I've used Al Mohler as an example multiple times because he switches positions um, uh, a lot. And people who like him want to defend him and say that he's he doesn't do that. No, he's consistent. But if you're careful and you listen to what he says uh, over the course of years, as political wind shifts, he will shift on things like uh, reparative therapy or whether same-sex attraction exists. I mean, he repented of it in 2014 and then in what 2021 or so he's uh saying that that was you know one of the problems uh, that the church ch people in the church adopted that view well it was the view that he held right um uh, the crt stuff i mean he's uh, he's really pushed the, the main uh, many of the main tenets of critical race theory and of course hired people who have taught the main tenets of critical race theory and then he'll critique it and so he's just one figure we've talked about a number of figures who do this kind of thing and of course, I look for repentance, right? I think we should all look for that. We, we look for, we, we all make mistakes and we all sin. And so what happens when you do that? Well, you acknowledge it. You, you, you don't pretend like it never happened, right? And that's, that's really the main thing. Uh, but I think we're going to see more and more of this. Uh, I don't know to what extent. I don't know how big it's going to become. But as we get closer to the election and things heat up, uh, a lot of things could happen. and. Um, I'm just thinking, especially if we have Democrats running things, and it doesn't even have to be Democrats, it could be Republicans at this point, but we have the people who are running things now running things then uh, in the next four years, uh, then the pendulum is going to be pushed really hard left. And you're going to see somewhat of a reaction against it amongst some quarters of the church. Uh, and people who were touting the ideas that have led to the problems we have are going to be now criticizing some of those ideas. So what do you do with people like that? That's the question for today. And it's not a new question, but it's one that I think needs to be talked about in a little bit more depth. And I want to give as much guidance as I can to people who legitimately have uh, these concerns. So 
Uh, if you are a patron, you can join in the podcast later on. I told everyone around 845 is probably when it might be after that, but that's that's the earliest. I'll probably start taking questions and comments. Uh, we have people streaming right now. We have some comments already coming in. Um, we have uh, one person, uh, Wade Nelson, is interested to, to see the names I'm going to name. I'm sure I'm sure uh, you're not the only one, Wade. I'm sure you're not the only one. Well, I guess I don't need this headset quite yet, so I'm going to take this off for now. And uh, my, my wire's tangled here anyway, so gives me a chance to fix that. And we're going to go through some uh, slideshow stuff. Before I do, though, what I'd like to do is play a uh, just a, a quick commercial. If you've seen the last two podcasts, it's only one minute. You've already seen this. Um, but it's for the sponsor this month, Farmer Bill's uh, Biltong. And uh, it's like jerky. It's South African. Uh, but here it is. Check it out. Some say life is not about the destination, but the journey. I say it's both. Sometimes it's a gentle whisper, and other times a raging river. Life has its hills and valleys. Sometimes we have to jump creeks and scale cliffs, but we have the strength for both. We have a map and we know where the trail leads. Just above the horizon is the glimmer of what comes next, and it's what drives us forward until we reach our final destination. Farmer Bill's Provisions. Lean energy for the unexpected. Save 20% with promo code JOHN20 at FarmerBillsProvisions.com. All right, well, there you go. Farmer Bill's Build Song. If you want to be healthy while you hike, that's uh, what I would suggest getting. Don't go to the gas station and get all the energy bars and honestly unhealthy uh, most of it uh, stuff that that's that's in those uh bring some beef jerky along and, and not the stuff with all the uh the filler you want farmer bills built on all right well uh leah says that jerky looks good yeah it, it actually it makes you feel good too it makes you feel like you you've bitten into something that's actually real it's real food imagine that uh all right well let's talk about uh the subject at hand i have a slideshow that i've made that i've queued up if you're a patron you have access to that it's in the update that i put out there today um <laughs> jeremy says that if facebook doesn't work out i think you have a career in commercials thanks jeremy uh <laughs> well we'll see about that i don't know if i want to do commercials um so I, I want to start actually really early, like really early. Like, John, I thought you were going to talk about social justice and you're going back to uh, the, the, the fourth century here. And um, yeah, so I want to talk about the Diocletian persecution a little bit. This was uh, spanned the course of four emperors in the Roman Empire and Christians were crucified. Bibles were taken and burned. Uh, you had to surrender your Bibles. Uh, you had to, uh, many Christians were... Uh, forced into slavery in the Roman Empire. And um, th this really took place over the span of uh, around 30 years or so. And um, in this particular uh, situation, you had uh, severe persecution, and then there was backlash against this persecution. So, so, so there was, um, uh, th this persecution ended and when it ended, I'm giving you obviously some very uh, cliff note type uh, history here. Uh, I had a, actually I have a full presentation on the Donatist that incorporates a bunch of these slides. I just borrowed a few of them for this. But 
three groups emerged after the persecution ended. And um, these three groups were those who handed over the scriptures. So basically the, the compromisers, right? The Roman soldier comes and knocks on your door. Where's the, the Bible? And you give them the Bible, right? And they go and they destroy it. You're just complicit in it. And then there were those who did not hand over the scriptures. So they were suffering, right? They suffered the punishment for what they did. They might've even died. And there are the, then there are those who handed over something other than the scriptures. So you're asked, uh, hand over your Bible and you give them something else that maybe looks like a Bible, but it's not the Bible. And, and so th these three groups existed in what called it, what, you know, what was considered the church at the time. And a culture of martyrdom developed within the African church, especially uh, the Bishop of Carthage, uh, Minusurius, uh, and the Archdeacon. I can't say these names. <laughs> it's been a while since I've said them. I, I, at one time I could pronounce this stuff, but I haven't pronounced it in a while. So we'll just skip his name. <laughs> he stood against uh, the craving for martyrdom. So you had leaders in the church who were recognizing this is an issue. The, the martyrdom's become kind of like the pinnacle. Uh, that we should strive for. And that's not really good. We shouldn't uh, strive for it. We should accept it when it comes, but it's not something that we we shoot for and think of, you know, that that's the end all be all for being holy. And a theological debate ensued. Uh, Cyprian's teaching in the unity of the Catholic Church from 251 said there is no salvation outside the church, making legitimate schisms a technical impossibility and those separated from the church unable to perform sacraments. So you have a theology developing that basically says salvation's in the church and these compromisers, it's dubious, some, some thought it was dubious whether or not they were really part of the church. And what about the people who denied? Some, some people outright denied Christ and then later wanted back in when the pressure was off. The Donatists were a group that believed that the sacraments were only legitimate if administered by someone who did not cave to persecution. So if you caved, then you cannot administer the sacraments. You are not a rightful uh, shepherd in the church. You, you don't have that position. So, um, so they held a, a high. They had a I'm gonna say a high standard. They had a, high, a standard though. And Augustine uh, argued with these people. He said that the church was a mixed body, um, and he used different parables of Christ uh, to prove that. But that there's there's always going to be tares among the wheat. You can't have a it's a pipe dream to say that you can have a, a church, a physical church that is going to be a hundred percent regenerate and you can be sure of it, this side of heaven. You're that's just not consistent with biblical teaching. So that's why we have the invisible and the visible church and uh, those kinds of things. So uh, this was the situation back then. Now, John, what, you know, why do you bring this up? Well, I think in light of some of the things today that we're dealing with, I think this is uh, an important a parallel to draw. And I'm not the first one to draw this parallel. Um, we don't want to go towards the Donatist side, right? Of saying that we, we, we don't want to go too far and start imposing extra biblical categories and, and issuing purity tests that don't allow for repentance. And I think that's the key thing here. If someone's repented, if they did something wrong and they've repented and they're uh, in the process of proving themselves, it, it might mean you, you might not trust them. You might not want to give them the helm. They shouldn't be leading your movement. Perhaps they're a shepherd who let wolves come in. I mean, that's a pretty bad shepherd. Uh, you, you probably shouldn't give that person their staff back and say, go guard the sheep because they ran away last time, right? But that doesn't mean that you just kick them out of the church. You say, well, they're not part of the church, I guess, anymore, if they repented. Uh, now, if they haven't repented, that's another matter. But the Donatists were 
uh, they, they were just barring anyone. Uh, it didn't matter if they repented or not, if they were compromised during the times of persecution. Now, we don't have something as severe as that yet, uh, at least in this country. Of course, if you go to Nigeria or other places, you'll see things similar to that. But we, we did have a time, I would say, and I think it ebbs and flows. I think we're still in this time. I just think it's uh, not as severe as it was, or at least actually in some ways it's more severe. It's just that uh, I think it was it, it was kind of like when you're when you jump in a cold you know, lake or something, if anyone does like the polar dive, initially it shocks your body and then you just kind of get used to it. So I think we're we're still somewhat in uh, the social justice phase, uh, but it's not as shocking. Our bodies are have acclimated to some extent and we don't have you know buildings burning down and that kind of thing. So we're in the institutional phase of this. But when it first started happening, along with the COVID stuff at the same time and the Me Too stuff and the, the CRT and um, the transgender stuff, it, it was all it, it all really started around the same time period, the same 10 year, five year, three year, two year period uh, that you see all this stuff kind of coming to a head, right? And th this was a time of making decisions as to what line you were going to be standing across, or where you were going to stand. This was a time to, to figure out, am I going to be on the side of this revolution or am I going to be on the other side? And of course, this podcast, it's no uh, surprise to those who've listened for a long time. This whole podcast started with talking about that very issue exposing the people who compromise, not because I liked exposing people. Uh, in fact, far from it. I, I really don't like it. And it, even this podcast, I'm dreading to some extent. I'm going to be honest with you. I just think it needs to be done. And other people weren't doing it. They weren't even talking about the issues when I first started. Uh, not many, at least. And so um, I, I wanted to make sure when I talked about these issues, I was also naming the names because that's what I see in scripture. You know, you don't have disembodied evil. There's people that promote evil. And it's interesting to me how many people, you know, are still are willing to talk about these ideas, but aren't, they, they have an unwillingness. And I'm not saying you have to do it all the time, but there's an unwillingness to ever name names. So I started naming names and saying, hey, this guy, you know, Danny Aiken, uh, where I went to seminary at Southeastern, you know, I just already named Al Moeller, Russell Moore, Tim Keller, Matt Chandler, David Platt. You know, I just started naming these people and say, this is what they're saying. And this is where this these ideas lead. And, and of course, that resonated with a lot of you because uh, you saw it happening at your church. You saw it on the local level with your pastor, with whatever ministry you were involved in. You saw the same thing. And it was compromise. It wasn't uh, the same kind of thing that the Donatists were, were going through and um, reacting to. But it was compromise. And there were people in our churches. I, I, it's sad to say this, and I got to be careful on YouTube how I say this, but um, would there be, I'll ask the question, I'll put it this way. Would there be people in your churches who would, who might still be alive if the pastor hadn't pushed certain treatments, we'll say, would there be people in the church who might, you know, I mean, this is all speculate, speculation to an extent, but it, it's, um, I think it's healthy to ask these questions. Would there be people still sitting there, uh, in, 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 instead of rejecting the church and going off with some social justice nonsense, would there be families that would still be together if pastors would have preached the truth about these things and guided their congregations through these things? 
I think, yes, I, I, don't, I think we would be much more united and much less divided if pastors had taken strong stands. And you have some people now who want to take some strong stands, but when the battle's not as heavy, when it's not raging, uh, when the cost isn't as much, what do you do with that, right? So I want to start off, um, this is a little bit, it, this is related, but it is different than the majority of the podcast, because the majority of the podcast, we're going to be talking about people who... Uh, I would say were indicating at least on some level, they were on the social justice side of things. And now they are making an about face without acknowledging that they're making an about face publicly, at least um, th this first uh, example, which is a little different. And I feel obliged to play it just because this is what's going around this morning is uh, someone who I think many would consider to be very solid. And I met him before and he's uh, Alistair Begg is, is the person, and uh, I would say I, I don't discount all this man's preaching because of this one clip, but um, but there's compromise. There's compromise. And so uh, I, I'd like to start off with the question of what do you do with someone like that who's had some some fairly faithful, consistent preaching, I think, for decades, and then says something like this. So I'm going to play it for you, and then we'll talk about it on the other side. In very specific areas, this comes across. I mean, you and I know that we field questions all the time that go along the lines of, uh, my grandson is about to be married to a transgender person, and I don't know what to do about this, and I'm calling to ask you to tell me what to do, mm. which is a huge responsibility. And in a conversation like that just a few days ago, um, and uh, people may not like this answer, but I asked the, I asked the grandmother, does your grandson understand your uh, belief in Jesus? Yes. Does your grandson understand that your belief in Jesus makes it such that you can't countenance uh, in any affirming way the choices that he has made in life? Yes. I said, well, then, okay, as long as he knows that, then I suggest that you do go to the ceremony, mm -hmm. and I suggest that you buy them a gift. Oh, she said, what? She was caught off guard. I said, well, here's the thing. You're not going to, your, your love for them may catch them off guard, but your absence will simply reinforce the fact that they said these people are what I always thought, judgmental, critical, unprepared mm -hmm. to countenance anything. And it is a fancy, it is a fine line, isn't it? It really yeah. is. And people need to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. But I think we're going to take that risk. We're going to have to take that risk a lot more if we want to build bridges into the hearts and lives of those who don't understand Jesus and, and don't understand that he is a king. Okay, so what do you do with something like this? Uh, this is kind of blatantly off. Uh, there's, I don't even know what you would appeal to. I mean, the only thing he's trying to appeal to principally is that we're supposed to be good witnesses. So that means buy a gift if your child or, or grandchild is marrying a transgender person. Um, I, I don't know if this makes you recall the time. Uh, there, there's a show Calvary Chapel put out there called Pastor's Perspective, and uh, it was uh, Chuck Smith was getting older. And he started, uh, there, there was actually one, there was a few like weird things he said, but there was this one that sticks out to me where a caller uh, called in, it was a, a, a female, I believe, and asked about abortion. And he opened the door for, in certain cases, perhaps, <laughs> perhaps, right? I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was like, wait a minute, doesn't that go against everything you've preached? 
And the explanation, and, and I was somewhat satisfied with this at the time, is he's getting old, right? And I, I really want to be able to say that about Alistair Begg here. It's like, well, he's getting older, you know, and, and if he's getting older, perhaps take him out of the pulpit. Maybe, maybe that's what needs to happen. His reasoning faculties just aren't there. He's not thinking straight. And so it's like the insanity defense, right? Uh, that's what I, I'd like to say, because it, it, it really is from what I know, maybe there's something some, you know, that I don't, but from what I know, that's kind of a one-off that that's inconsistent with the rest of his, uh, preaching. And so, and he is trying to at least say the grandson should know that you disapprove, but then you're going to give mixed signals by going attending, right? A fake ceremony that is meaningless, but you're going to attend as a witness before God that these oaths are important and legitimate. And then you're going to give them a gift so they can start their life together, which is by definition, a sinful life. A little weird. I mean, you can still give them a gift and spend time with them without going to the wedding and making it a wedding gift, right? And show them that you love them and be a witness, right? So this is like, so so what do you do with this? Well, yeah, I, I would expect Alistair, big needs to he needs to say something publicly he needs to repent of this he needs to be confronted on this and and yeah and, and maybe if, if this is the people close to him are realizing that he's having moments like this more consistently uh hey time time for you to to step down that that, that would be the obvious thing in my mind but you know this is it might be a little easier because of age um in, in that situation and it, it's so out of the blue it just like knocks you down uh, what do you do though with people that uh, it, it just seems more calculated, right? More consistently premeditated, and there's a shift going on, and, and it's in a different direction. They were they were on the wrong side, now they're on the right side. What do you do with that? Um, I'm gonna take a few questions before I shift here. That was kind of the big soundbite of the day, but uh, someone says, "Is it that common for old people to go squishy on issues?" Ah. Uh, <laughs> I, I just know that even from my family experience, older people start to say weird stuff sometimes. And so, I mean, I think that we all know that, you know, I, I don't know, like squishy isn't even the word. It's more just weird. So, I, yeah, I, I don't know. And I don't know. I'm not saying that's what's happening with Alistair Big. I honestly don't know. I'm just hoping it is because I, I tend to like the guy. Right. And I think most of us do. Um, John said, I love you, brother. I see one common thread woven by all these compromisers. They're Calvinists. I always said those who let Platt's church were not the apostates, but those who stayed. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't really, yeah, I, I'm not going to get into the whole Calvinist Ar- Arminian thing right now, but um, I don't think that's a hundred percent true. So, and I've heard this from a lot of people that, you know, it's the Calvinists who are causing the problem. Alistair Begg's one. And I think probably the majority of the people, if not all the people I'm going to talk about today are part of the reason is the influence, the main influencers in the evangelical world now seem to be more Calvinistic, unless you're on the, the charismatic side of things, I suppose. Um, but that's where I, I, I do say that, yes, the charismatic churches that were not Calvinistic also compromised in 2020, many of them. Um, it, you can pick the denomination, you're going to see a compromise, whether it's Assemblies of God uh, or even I'm actually flying out uh, in two weeks to a church that was a former Calvary Chapel. And I asked, why, you know, why did you have to leave Calvary Chapel? And um, it, it, because they compromised on social justice. I'm like, really? And then he told me the story. And I thought, man, really, there too, huh? It's not every Calvary Chapel. I have Calvary Chapels that support what I'm doing. 
um, just like it's not every Reformed church. But but I think this cuts across the denominational spectrum. If you look at like the United Methodist Church, for example, they I mean, the Southern Baptists can't hold a candle to them on compromise when it comes to social justice and and especially the LGBT stuff. And they're they're very, very anti-Calvinist, uh, many of them. So anyway, I, I don't think it's that, but I, I understand why people think that. And that that's for a, a bigger discussion. And I think the neo-reformed world, you're right about the neo-reform world, uh, which is is not just Calvinist. It's kind of a it's a subset. It's a movement, a recent movement that's more puritanical, Kuyperian, uh, and I would say um, more missional was the word that used to be used. They they were more like on mission to reach the culture. And and whenever you have that, you're gonna when when you focus too much on what the culture thinks, what what happens? Well, we know. Um, all right. Well, uh, I don't see any other questions <laughs> except dementia. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not saying that. I'm not accusing them. I'm just saying this is like a real thing that people have to navigate, right? All right. So uh, let's talk about some uh, other figures here as we go along. Um, oh, I, I was going to mention this too. Justin. Okay. So this this is the beginning of this. This, this is what kind of started my brain going this direction. Justin Taylor from the gospel coalition. I'm going to have to be, I'm going to have to summarize to, to go through all the slides. Um, but Justin Taylor recently, uh, let's see if I can remember which one it is. That's the first one. I think it's the, actually the second one's the first one. I, I have these out of order, but, um, he, there was a, a, a sort of a debate that broke out. Uh, David Schrock and Justin Taylor on Twitter were going back and forth a bit. And Justin, I noticed he did this. Uh, he's talking about the vaccine, you know, the vaccine. And he says that we are going to publicly castigate fellow believers for making different choices than you uh, would have made. Should we not also chastise those who told us that this was just a bad flu season? And he goes on to that. This was the second deadliest pandemic, etc. David Schrock had made a post basically talking about how we've been misled on, on that whole thing, right? Well, I went back to 2021. So a few years ago. And while this was all happening and Justin Taylor's asking different questions at that point, he's, he's asking about whether or not this is kind of like seatbelt laws. Would you oppose seatbelt laws? That's like equivalent to the, the vaccine. It, it, sh it shouldn't some things be mandated. Shouldn't they be obligatory? Right? So we went from, shouldn't this be obligatory to, well, what about, you know, just different Christians making different choices? That's a shift. Now, it might be a subtle shift, but but it is a shift. That is going from the assumption that this should be mandated to the assumption that this should be a choice, right? There's no acknowledgement there that I, I know of, but that that is a shift. And I would say it's going, it's starting to go in the right direction, right? But there's a lot of public pressure now because in, in, in at least conservative Christian circles, because there has been so much information coming out showing that what took place in that time period, and I've been careful how I say this, uh, wasn't the best. So there's a shift. And, and this is, and we all should shift when new information comes that shows that what we previously believed was wrong, right? It's not wrong to shift. It's just wrong to act, to, to, I think, to pretend like we, we didn't or to, uh, to, to, to just make it seem like we don't have anything to apologize for if we've misled people. So now we get into this. And th this is something, this was on uh, December 23rd. So this is right before Christmas. 
And I was so busy with some things. And then, uh, as many of you know, personal things that I never got back to this, but I wanted to get back to this today. Uh, someone pointed this out that uh, Andrew Walker had made this post. Um, he said, I think we failed to understand how much of evangelical thought leadership has been calibrated to make plausible the voting for positions and platforms that are unambiguously opposed to scripture and feeling superior in making such equivocations. We have the destruction of human life, human nature, and the human family as core principles of a major American political party. And yet we're told that minimum wage laws and carbon footprints are worthy of equal consideration. So he's saying in this post that, look, the Democrats have an evil platform. They, they have what they are forwarding. There's no moral equivalency be, between that and what the Republicans are, are forwarding, even in its most negative uh, you know, way that you could frame it. And he's saying, look, the evangelical thought leadership. OK, now he's a member of that. He's a professor at Southern Seminary and he's writes for all you know, the evangelical magazines and, and outlets and Gospel Coalition included. Right. And he's saying, hey, evangelical thought leadership, they've been calibrated. Now, I don't know who did the calibrating, but they've been calibrated to make plausible the voting for positions and platforms that are opposed to Scripture. That's a pretty hefty statement. If you think about it, that's a big charge to make that much of evangelical thought leadership is compromised this bad that they're actually supporting voting for positions and platforms opposed to scripture. And then to boot, they feel superior about it. So they're arrogant. Who could he be talking about? Right? So this is true. This is something that we've been saying for years. This is true. Um, and, and then you have a, a couple other people and, and these, I, I'm giving you these three names because these are actually three names that were given to me uh, as, Hey, check this out, John, look, look at these people who are, uh, also supporting what Andrew Walker just said. And it, it's interesting given Andrew Walker and each of these people also had some measure of compromise themselves with the woke agenda. So um, Colin Smothers said, if you see an organization platforming Michael Ware, who is a Democrat operative, this is exactly what they are doing. He was literally Obama's evangelical outreach director, getting evangelicals to look the other way on abortion and LGBT indoctrination was his day job. Excellent, right? Eric Reed, this is absolutely true. Now watch how people respond to it and equivocate to prove the point. Good. Josh Howerton, uh, he, he posts under this tweet. Step one, Keller correctly popularized the phrase, the gospel is neither right or nor left. Step two, his followers incorrectly treated the phrase as right and left are equal and opposite errors. Step three, willingness to embrace left positions became a sign of your gospel centeredness and being seen as a politically as politically conservative was a sign you weren't gospel centered. So I want to take a trip down memory lane now uh, with uh, each of these guys. And I'm going to show you some, uh, another similar kind of tweet, uh, I, I guess, you know, a barometer to, to judge where people are at today by how they reacted to, to another tweet. But there's a shift to the right. How do I know there's a shift to the right? Well, Andrew Walker, um, and here's, I, I put for each of these people, whether they wrote at uh, World Magazine or the Gospel Coalition, I put their little bio here so, so you know who they are. Um, Andrew Walker wrote in 2020, this is for, this is for Breakpoint, uh, formerly, I guess, Chuck, I think that was Chuck Colson's uh, organization, right? Or, or I think it's an, I don't remember. <laughs> I think, I think it's affiliated with Chuck Colson's ministry. What's ahead for the church in 2020, a breakpoint symposium. So a bunch of evangelical leaders put their thoughts down about voting in 2020. And this was Andrew Walker. Okay. He says, one of the most pressing issues, and I reject it as either the most important or an ultimate issue is the election coming of 2020. <clears throat> 
I offer this not because of my primary concern is conservative versus liberal, Democrat versus Republican. My concern is the rank divisiveness that the name Donald Trump conjures up in evangelical circles. What I find to be the case is that Trump opposing Christians and Trump supporting Christians both refract uh, too much of their identity through Trump. It's, it's leading to an inability to disagree amicably or empathetically, exposing yet another idol in evangelical cultural formation. This division must stop and brothers and sisters must stop judging one another on the basis of their political calculations. Let me read that one for you again. Brothers and sisters must stop judging one another on the basis of their political calculations. How about one more time? Brothers and sisters must stop judging one another on the basis of their political calculations. Huh? Wait a minute. Didn't Andrew Walker just, didn't I just read for you where he's now judging brothers and sisters based on their political calculations? Well, you, you bet. But that's not what he said in 2020. And, and okay, fine. You know, we, we, we shift. But he says, while we need to leave room for conscience, we can also cannot excuse voting rationales that impute too much to Donald Trump. It's wrong to baptize Donald Trump as a Christian when he very apparently bears no fruit in keeping with repentance. It's also wrong to condescendingly demonize other Christians who make the choice to choose the policies of the Trump administration over the Democrats. Evangelicals can make reasonable arguments for voting for Trump and evangelicals can make reasonable arguments for not voting for Trump. Let's respect conscience. And we believe this and not mistreat one another and not ascribe motives to one another that may not be accurate if you vote for Trump. Why? To legitimize him as a Constantinian-like savior or as a pragmatic... So he goes on. I don't want to read this whole thing. Um, but let's see. Uh, he talks about... He, he gives a call for unity. That we need to have unity, uh, whether you, you support Trump or not. And again, this is not, there, there were no primaries, right? Trump was already the nominee at this point for the Republicans. Now, at the very least, you can say, you know, maybe you could say he's, he's just talking about Republicans, you know, not Democrat. He doesn't make that really explicit here, but uh, let's assume that. Um, he is not near as aggressive as he is now with saying, look, there's evangelicals out there that are justifying voting for evil and they're arrogant about it. He's not doing that. He's saying, can't we all just get along no matter what we believe about our vote? It's a little bit different, right? I, I, I think, I, I think I'm, I'm on, I'm onto something there, right? So uh, th this was uh, Andrew Walker. Um, yeah. It's conceptual clarity says amazing, terrific tweet by Andrew Walker. Amazing since he has been a big Eva guy himself. And, I'm going to go into that a little more. And I, I would say, yes, bravo, bravo for that. I, I, I don't think I'm probably not making friends with them by talking about this, but, um, but yes, I mean, I support what he's doing now. Absolutely. But that, that certainly hasn't been always what he's been doing. So um, I just want to point out a few things. This is not comprehensive at all, but uh, Andrew Walker, right? He co-authored, these are what, eight, nine, nine different books. Uh, and he's actually a series editor with Russell Moore, Randall Walker and Russell Moore on the gospel and marriage, racial reconciliation, religious liberty, adoption, same-sex marriage, etc. All these cultural issues. Him and Russell Moore had enough common cause that they were able to be series editors for these things. Now, um, I just want to read for you. This is one introduction. This is uh, an excerpt from an introduction by Andrew Walker. This wasn't even that long ago. It was a few years ago on racial reconciliation uh, with Russell Moore. And he said, recent events, whether in Ferguson, Missouri or Charleston, South Carolina, remind us that America's wounds on race are still deep. But we cannot allow our failures as a society to simply simmer. In every age, the prophetic imagination must be engaged in hopes of making progress. We saw this in MLK, 
and we must, and we are seeing it in our own day. The church must be on the frontier of racial reconciliation in America. In recent American past, it was the church that was one of the greatest impediments to racial justice in America, but it was also the church that helped inspire America and Americans to do uh, what Dr. King said, uh, to cash this check and check that, that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom and security of justice. But to care about racial reconciliation as Christians isn't just about seeing the value of each person as an image bearer, as invaluable as that is. It's about picturing the reconciliation offered to each one of us in Christ. Apart from Christ, we were separated from God. Apart from Christ, humanity separates itself from one another. The wide lens of reconciliation between God and man also grants the reconciliation between the broken chains of humanity. In Christ, we no longer define ourselves by the color of our skin, but by the shade of red blood that our Savior spilled to reconcile us. Personally, I have learned so much from contributors to this book amid recent events that demonstrated America's ongoing racial tension. There are individuals like myself who learned to extend a sympathetic ear to narratives that can so easily be ignored. It was important for me to put my guard down, to set aside any prejudgments. That's just one small step, but an important one. Christians, Christians must see it as their individual and collective responsibility to be the change they're hoping to see. So Christians have a collective responsibility to fight racism, right? And of course, he's appealing to MLK here. He's saying that though this is an ongoing issue for even Ferguson, Missouri, uh, which we, we know that that was, uh, that, that, that was not the way it was portrayed by the media. It, it was, uh, Charleston w was more so, obviously, but uh, from what we know, of course, there's, there's people have conspiracy theories on that. But, but uh, from what we know, uh, Charleston was, but Ferguson wasn't. And he's, um, you know, he, he's taking the posture of the listener who doesn't really understand and needs to hear these stories and uh, that the, the church has been the bad guys in this. Th this is Andrew Walker not that long ago. Um, I remember this, <laughs> Andrew Walker, if, you, if some of you will remember this as well. This is during uh, the whole Russell Fuller. Remember in 2020, uh, uh, 2020 actually it was in May, uh, Russell Fuller started exposing Southern Seminary and what was being taught there, higher criticism, uh, or aspects of it, I suppose, uh, critical race theory, postmodernism. Andrew Walker uh, countersignaled this, right? So the day after, and this is when it was starting to really gain momentum, the, the video, uh, Andrew Walker says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, Exodus 20:16. So, you know, how do you, how do you know it's about Russell Fuller? Well, we all knew at the time, guys, and, and it was uh, it was in the comments and stuff. I, mean, I remember this well. Um, Russell Fuller is bearing false witness. And then uh, the, the first video was mostly about Dominic Hernandez. And so right uh, later that day, uh, Andrew Walker, you know, one of the first things Dominic Hernandez said to me as we were having lunch together as new colleagues, and he told me his testimony, no one converts to liberalism. How true, really grateful for this brother and SBTS colleague. So he's signaling, you know, Dominic Hernandez isn't a liberal, even though Russell Fuller is exposing that he was on some things that he, uh, uh, a lot of it had to do with the book of Job and I think Isaiah, um, it was a few years ago now, so my mind's a little fuzzy, but uh, there was, uh, sir, he, he believed that the author of Job um, was believed in certain mythologies, essentially, that if it's an inspired text, then how can you believe, how can the author believe in mythology? That's the question. Not that he mentioned mythology. That's what some people got wrong uh, at, at the time. And, and uh, no, that he was believed under... The, the author under supposedly the inspiration of the Holy Spirit believe in mythology. So there are things like that that were just, they undermined the authority of scripture. 
Now, Andrew Walker then goes on. This is the same day. My entire career, I fought for issues in held positions that anyone with a basic tethering to reality would consider essential pillars of conservative evangelical theology. The institution I teach at, SBTS, has long been considered a bastion of conservative evangelical theology under Albert Moeller's leadership. Of late, certain voices are attempting to challenge the institution's fidelity. I don't get it at all. Well, the certain voices are Dr. Russell Fuller. And this is one of the things, and I'm just going to say it, Andrew Walker, you know, I, whether he's watching or not, he's probably not. But this is cowardly. And this is the pattern, unfortunately, Dr. Walker, you have of you can't name the name. You've got to like counter signal and you, you can't tell people who you're talking about. If you take my ethics classes, you'll see me defend inerrancy, teach it. So it goes through his, his pedigree here. Um, I haven't taken the stands I've taken to be called a liberal or be part of an institution that is adrift theologically. And he, listen to this. The faculty squarely stands behind the vision and leadership of Albert Moeller, Matthew Hall, and Herschel York. Matthew Hall, the I'm a racist Matthew Hall, right? The, the CRT Matthew Hall. So this is Andrew Walker. Um, when the rubber meets the road, and it really mattered because his institution was in trouble and they were cranking out people who some of them were social justice warrior types, that's when he countersignaled. That's when he actually threw shade on the person trying to do something. And so he's somewhat responsible for it. And it, it keeps going, though. I mean, he um, he's, let's see, uh, why did I put these tweets here? He said, some Christians, and it's 2022, some Christian leaders tell Christians to downplay politics and culture war. Meanwhile, I hear so often from Christians how they are unwantingly subjected to political and culture war issues at every turn work, media, entertainment. Do Christian leaders not see this disconnect? Okay, I re remember why I put this here. The, 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 this is the same thing he did with Russell Fuller in a way. Tim Keller had, had tweeted out the day before, churches must not maintain unity at the expense of the gospel. Churches should not destroy unity or fellowship over political differences. So Andrew Walker correctly is counter-signaling Tim Keller here. At least that's what a number of people thought at the time. In fact, A.D. Robles did a whole video on it. And yet he can't name Tim Keller. He can't talk about Tim Keller, that Tim Keller is the one doing this, which is interesting. When Tim Keller died, of course, he, you know, Andrew Walker said all kinds of nice things about him. And um, wh while he's alive, he, you know, he can counter signal, but he can't actually take a, he can't say who he's talking about. So that, that's, um, I mean, there, there someone actually told me today and I didn't look into it. Um, I remember it though, vaguely that he was for the jab and, and there were some other things, but, but that's, that's Andrew Walker. So not that long ago, you know, he, he is part of the game. He, he is part of this establishment that failed to understand how much of evangelical thought leadership have been calibrated to make plausible the voting for positions and platforms that are unambiguously opposed to scripture. He, he, he could be talking about himself. Um, now, Eric Reed uh, writes at World Magazine. He is um, lead pastor of the Journey Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. He also founded Knowing Jesus Ministries. And I don't know much about Eric Reed. Um, I, I'm sure he's probably a nice guy. But I'm sure a lot of these guys are nice guys, if, if not all of them. So nothing personal here. But, um, you know, Eric Reed, if you just go back a few years, uh, he, he talks about, he says, learn from the prophets, Piper, Moore, Chandler. So Russell Moore, John Piper, Matt Chandler, the priests, Peterson. I'm guessing that's Peterson. I, I don't think it's Jordan Peterson. <laughs> I don't, I'm trying to think who, he's, who he might be talking about uh, Ortland and Kings, uh, Groche Groeschelle, Osborne, Stanley, not just one. So, uh, Russell Moore, Matt Chandler, they were prophetic. You had to learn from them in 2017. And they were saying the same, the same nonsense Russell Moore saying now he was saying then, uh, Beth Moore, a personal thread today. I write 
without a wit of whininess. I've been so blessed and graced by God to get down to do what I do. And just talks about uh, social media. Um, yeah, just, just, it was a thread. I don't, I don't read the whole thread, but talks about social media. And anyway, Eric Reed says, I love me some Beth Moore, right? And Beth Moore, I promise you that the love is mutual. So there is, there's somewhat of a relationship there. Uh, a positive one. Um, thread. He says, I'm so thankful for Beth Moore. And this is when, uh, Beth Moore is talking about, uh, she says, I've never participated in a March before this is in 2018, but it's my deep and present conviction that it's time for this white evangelical to do more than talk the talk. It's time to walk the walk in the name of Jesus for the sake of his gospel. Join me. And that's for the March for humanity. I, I think it was some kind of left, left leaning thing as I remember, but, um, but my only point is he's very positive about Beth Moore and Beth Moore's engagement and what Beth Moore's doing, um, kind of mocked, uh, Trump when Dr. Moore was, uh, when Trump said that Russell Moore is a terrible representative for evangelicals, Donald Trump was right. Eric Reed was wrong on this stuff. Now, Eric Reed though, now is saying great stuff, right? He's saying, Hey, look, this Andrew, what Andrew Walker said, that that's true. It's absolutely true. Um, same thing with now Colin Smothers, by the way, I don't know a lot about Colin Smothers. I asked someone who vouched for him and said, I don't know, he's, he's pretty, he maybe a little, he's, he's pulled a little bit in that direction. Uh, in fact, I saw if there's a Facebook post on the, the CRT stuff from Colin Smothers from a few, from 2020, that really wasn't that good. But because in the beginning of it, he said, Hey, I, I want the right to edit this. If I change my view, I don't know if he's changed his view. I'm assuming he has. Um, I, I decided not to even include it, but he did, but I did see this. This was on Facebook. Colin Smothers reposted Phil Vischer's uh, Race in America video and uh, in a positive way. And he says he carefully demonstrates how discriminatory laws and customs have lamentably shaped America as we know it, it today. You don't have to agree with every jot and tittle to recognize the problem, to sympathize and to care. Well, uh, as you know, I did a whole video on this. And I also have a whole section in my book where I show that uh, actually Phil Vischer was anything but careful about this. And yes, there were critical race theorists who were, uh, he was getting his research from. And, um, and so Colin Smothers was taken in by this. Okay, that's fine. And he, he writes for World Magazine. That, that's, you know, there were people who, who, who did that. Now, of course, he agrees with Andrew Walker. You know, it, it's, it's great to see that shift, but is there an acknowledgement of that shift? That's the question, right? Uh, here's another one from, uh, this is from JT. Oh, actually, I'm gonna start with another thread. This is another, similar to what Andrew Walker put out there. Josh Howerton um, put out how misapplying, it was a whole thread, I don't have the whole thing, but how misapplying Keller hijacked US Christianity. He says, large platform evangelicalism got covertly hijacked by secular progressivism. Many aren't yet understanding what's happening. And as a result, are attacking the opposite net problem we are facing. Here's how it happened. Keller correctly popularized the phrase, the gospel is neither right nor left. Step two is followers incorrectly applied this phrase as right and left are equal and opposite. So I already read this. This this is a restatement of a tweet he already put out. Um, and they said, disclaimer, Keller's followers' misapplications were the primary problem, in my opinion, not Keller, who I unashamedly love. And, and I, I recognize this and a lot of people who were treating this who had liked Keller previously is like, okay, this is a way to kind of get Keller off the hook and get yourself off the hook. I don't know if that's what he's doing, but uh, completely, but it is a way to do that, uh, to say like, Hey, I I'm, I, it's okay. It's cool that I quoted hell Keller and followed Keller and believed Keller, but it's some of his followers who are a nameless faceless group. We don't know who he's talking about specifically again, uh, who really got, who misread Keller and what Keller was trying to do. Now, of course, 
a bunch of us, myself, AD Robles, a bunch of people retweeted this and said, um, no, <laughs> it was Keller. Keller was the one. Keller was the problem. And, and that's absolutely true. And I've gone to great lengths. I have a whole playlist on Keller that shows beyond a shadow of a doubt, I think, that no, that this is what Keller wanted. Uh, this this kind of compromise, this like, you know, it transcends the left-right uh, division. And so you can have people in your church from both perspectives. That That's what he was creating. That's what he was building. Now, again, you have this. This is a shot at what Keller produced, though, that this left-leaning church that's existing. You have Eric Reed, an absolute necessary threat for understanding what we're facing in the church. Many evangelical leaders helped lead the charge over this cliff. Yeah, right. But but here's the thing. Like, are you one of them? <laughs> that's my question, right? Is like, who, who are we talking about? Who are the evangelical leaders who helped lead the charge over this cliff? Is anyone going to tell us who these people are? Um, Colin Smothers uh, read this thread, if not for anything else, that the stats above uh, stats about how the left controls all the cultural levels of power. If you identify as a leftist, you are likely uh, more lemming than lion, more page than prophet. Right. But, but these guys, I think are kind of all lemmings in, in a way. Like, um, I don't, I, I'm not saying it every single thing in their lives or every single thing that they do. I'm just saying there's a guild mentality here that it's after Keller's death that we can finally say some of Keller's followers took his ideas too far. And we can't name who those followers are, right? It Like while he was still alive, it was, you know, the best he could do is a little counter signal without naming his name. And, uh, so JT English, uh, another guy here that I'll introduce in a moment, says, I largely agree with this assessment. I'm going to get back to JT English. Uh, but Josh Howerton, um, here's his Gospel Coalition. He's an author there, uh, his, his uh, bio, senior pastor of Lake Point Church in Dallas-Fort Worth area. And I, I want to point out something to you. He, uh, This is on Facebook. He said, a sign of idolatry in our politics is that opponents are not considered to be simply mistaken, but to be evil, quoting Tim Keller. Uh, he says, like this, any opposition to acceptance of Syrian refugees into America is just racism, hatefulness, and xenophobia. Or this, people shouting for acceptance of refugees are stupid, naive, and probably hypocrites. So here he is applying Tim Keller's third way. You have right, you have left, and it both of them are the uh, engaged in idolatry. This is exactly what he's saying here. Same guy. Uh, some of Keller's followers were misapplying. Here he is misapplying, apparently. But I don't think he's misapplying. He's quoting Keller and he's understanding Keller. So, you know, it's like Josh Howerton, like you, the man, like you're what you're critiquing is what you've done. Here's some Josh Howerton for you. Uh, just these are some videos just to give you an idea of where he was at not that long ago. Mother's Day speaker for the day needs no introduction, but I'm going to give her one. Um, Beth Moore has helped tens of millions of women get out of pits, step up, break free, and chase vines for the last 43 years of her ministry. And uh, many of you know that. What you may not know is that this is not Beth's first time at Lake Point. So I dug into the... All right, I'm going to stop that for a minute because of time and just say this, because I, I told people that I would start taking uh, questions uh, 8.45 and later, and I'm already at 8.53, so it'll probably be at least 9 before I start doing that. But look, you have a guy here who hosts Beth Moore. He's, the, he's the, the, the pastor of this church. He invites Beth Moore. Beth Moore comes to his church on a Sunday morning to preach on Mother's Day. This was a controversy when it happened. This was not long after, I believe, the go home, you know, John MacArthur's go home Beth Moore. He, he does this. 
And he gives her a glowing introduction before she comes and preaches. This is the same Josh Howerton, okay? This is Josh Howerton again. This is uh, in 2020. I was watching the George Floyd video. As a father of uh, two African-American children, um, it's important to me. Here's why this is uh, such a big deal, and it should especially be a big deal for the Church of Jesus. Um, guys, in, in the Bible, uh, if you trace the theme of salvation in the Bible, the goal, God's goal in salvation <clears throat> is the reunification of the races. If you don't like desegregation, you're going to hate heaven. A Christian cannot watch that video. Uh, that, honestly, it'll leave you a little shook and not care. Guys, racism is not getting worse. It's just getting filmed. Now, the question that I think like we have to ask, especially if you're like me and you're a white Christian, we've got to ask, like, man, what would God have of me? And Proverbs 31, 8 and 9, here's what it says. It says, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth and judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Now, what that means is that there are some groups of people who need more than just justice. Because of a cultural context, they need more than just justice. They need advocacy. And I, what, what Proverbs is showing is that a wise, righteous person will raise their voice for an oppressed group of people. Uh, some of you, when you hear that, if you were to read the book of Amos, you would go, well, that guy sounds like a flaming liberal, you know? Okay, well, just track with me. Um, the Bible says that, that Christians are supposed to be people who we don't quite fit into any worldly kingdom. Now, let me apply that to politics real quick. And again, if this is frustrating you, just track with me. Okay. Uh, if somebody were to tell you that there were a group of people who rejected bloodthirsty sports, empowered women, reveled in the combination of races and classes, and radically served the poor, well, most people today would go, that sounds pretty liberal to me. Now watch this, but on the other hand, if somebody were to tell you that there were a group of people uh, who they forbade uh, abortion and infanticide, they were against sex outside of marriage, they were against same-sex practice, and they insisted Jesus was the only way to salvation, most people would say, sounds pretty conservative to me. Now, don't you see what's happening? Is that Christians are supposed to be, God designed us to be a people who we don't quite fit into any worldly system, political party, or kingdom. Why? Because the role of the church is to be the conscience of the nation. And as Dr. Tony Evans has said before, we can be partisan or we can be prophetic. We cannot be both. There you have it. Uh, <laughs> Josh Howerton uh, talking about, now, obviously, these are videos that are a little longer, and I had to condense for this particular uh, podcast. So you can go uh, check those out uh, if you want on Facebook. But um, going along, I mean, this is the message to produce social justice warriors at your church, if that's what you're trying to do. This is the message. He's, again, in this, he, he is giving the classic Tim Keller third way that, look, it's not conservative. It's not liberal. Christians transcend this. We don't have allegiances in either that's exactly what he's bashing now and saying, well, some of his followers did this. But Josh Howerton, it was you. You were the guy doing this. One of them. Uh, so uh, 
let's see where do we want to go from here i'm almost done i think with the slideshow if i can add it back to the stage all right let's just finish this up and uh then we will uh take some questions and comments etc so uh jt english uh another uh pastor i believe i think i have his uh, didn't, didn't i not include his bio oh yeah i did there's his gospel coalition bio okay lead pastor of storyline fellowship in arbata colorado um so this is kind of a before after here like before he's quoting russell moore in 2021 the problem now is not that the people think that the church's way of life is too demanding too morally rigorous but that they come to think that the church doesn't believe its own moral teaching so more bashing the church jt english kind of here for it um uh, resolution on racial reconciliation uh, from the 1995 uh, resolution. And he's, I think that's, yeah. He says it is not a contradiction to denounce CRT and, and I think he meant to put here, um, believe in structural systemic racism. Adam Green, Greenway made this clear, as does this 1995 resolution on racial reconciliation. We've talked about this before. Um, here he is uh, saying, I truly believe that if Paul was writing a letter to the American church, evangelical church, he would commend Beth Moore and Karen Swallow Pryor as co-laborers for the sake of the gospel. He'd instruct the church to greet, honor, and receive them in the way of the Lord. This is incredible, he says. I'm so thankful for Beth Moore. And this is uh, Beth Moore saying that a person had called her woke. So a person called her woke, 2018. And it's incredible. She, he's thankful for Beth Moore. Uh, this is uh, all JT English. Here's a uh, video of JT English to the church critical race theory or travel sports oh man <laughs> holy guacamole i'm gonna get canceled for this one right now <laughs> i mean here's the thing I, i'm gonna get people are gonna be mad at me for this i think it's travel sports i really do uh as the next generation goes so goes the church and if the next generation isn't in church we don't have a church yeah well there was a was a reason i was asking you that question i thought you might <laughs> incline in that direction all right, there you go. Uh, travel sports, more more dangerous than critical race theory. Now, after, here's the after for JT English, right? Um, he agrees with Josh Howerton now. <laughs> it was misapplying Keller that hijacked U.S. Hijacked, that's a strong term, hijacked United States Christianity. Uh, turned it to the left. Um, you got, this is another tweet I found recently. He says, maybe, just maybe, hear me out on this. In a postmodern context where power is the ethic and truth is abandoned, gender studies is it equals gender confusion, not clarity. Ethnic studies equals more racism, not less. Well, I'm going to start uh, taking some questions. I have some biblical principles to think through as we evaluate this question, but I wanted to set the stage. The, these are some good concrete examples because I'm, I'm not really afraid to name names. <laughs> I, I've been doing it for a few years now and people don't always like it, but that I think that's what courage is, right? Like that's what, and people don't know what you're talking about sometimes. You don't always have to do it, but I want people to know basically kind of, you know, what I'm talking about. So um, with that said, I'm going to go to Matt, uh, who's in channel right now. And then I'm going to go to Andrew. Um, first, Matt. Hey, Matt, how you doing? Hey, good. How are you? Good. Um, yeah, I, I think you were, you were talking about the lapse controversy, I think, at the beginning of the, the podcast. And and I think what they did back then, I, I you may have alluded to this. I kind of got on late, but I think to the degree that you have to earn the trust, it's going to take longer to actually earn that trust. So, so if they have a history of being woke or putting out mega thousands of tweets or articles, 
you know, the, the bar is going to have to be set higher for them to come back to the fore if they want to do the shift. That's kind of my view on it. Um, like Alistair Bay, if he just had a slip up one time, it was a big slip up, obviously. But like you said, it maybe he's due to other issues, but he, he's had a faithful ministry for a long time um, and he hasn't had that history. It's probably not going to be you're probably going to get a greater benefit of the doubt um, if he's going to shift. But for some of these people that you just uh, talked about where they have a long history of this and the, and it was a little more egregious, kind of like what, what happened um, 1800 years ago, it's going to require a lot more um, time for the repentance to be proven forthwith. And that's kind of my position on the whole thing. It's it, you have to earn trust and the bar is going to be higher if that trust was abridged more egregiously. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, you know, thinking about Peter, you know, how, what was his track record like? I mean, as an apostle, probably pretty good. Um, but he still needed to be confronted when he was in error. It didn't disqualify him from being an apostle or being a leader in the church, but he had to repent about it. And, uh, and that's, that's the thing I, I think we're missing. It, I, this comes up too with the, um, whole concupiscence debate. Uh, like people get shocked. Like they're like, I, I can't be that bad. Like, <laughs> You mean uh, these these desires? If you uh, if you even have a desire for something God hasn't approved of, like that sin, that that would be I'm sinning a lot. And it's like, well, yeah, like <laughs> right. So that we get we get used to repenting and apologizing. That that should come as second nature. I mean, I have to do it to my wife all the time. So, um, but th there's like a, an apprehension to do that. It seems uh, in a lot of quarters. Um, I agree with you though. I think you're spot on. So. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Oh, no problem. Thank you. Yeah. you have any other uh, comments or questions? Yeah, I, I, just, I think it's it's just like um, I, in, in a local church context. I mean, if somebody's excommunicated, obviously, you know, it's kind of this, it's a similar process. I mean, how do you earn back the trust of people? Well, right. you know, it depends on how public are you and, and how, you know, there's probably a period of time where, you know, you're, you're going to have to prove your repentance. And a matter of fact, I think back in the 200s, uh, some of the some of the people back then um, did not allow the laps to get back into the church until there was another persecution where they could prove their repentance. Right. So I, I mean, with, with these guys, I mean, time's going to tell. I mean, if in five years they're saying the same things they did last last week, you know, okay, let's take another look. But and and another good biblical example is um, John Mark. Um, you know, Barnabas and Paul at a rift because I, we don't know. What oh, that's doing. right. Yeah. Yeah, we don't know what the deal is. With that, we don't know if it was theological or if it was just he he was kind of a, you know, an irresponsible kid. But later on, Paul said, you know, he, he was an asset to my ministry. So obviously there was um, he did take him back. So I think there is precedence, biblical precedence and church history precedence to take um, people back. But the degree to which you have to earn the trust is going to depend on, you know, to the degree to which you lost it. That's yeah. I mean, David was received back, right? But he also received consequences. Yes. And that's the thing. Like you can't, I, I, there's got to be some kind of like an acknowledgement and, and in some cases, perhaps even consequences. Like, well, you're, you're no longer, we're, we're going to bring you away from the steering wheel because you crashed the car. We don't want you to do that again until you go to driving school and come back, you know? So, yeah, I mean, that that's what's not happening, it seems like. It just seems like it's a, uh, about face and we're just kind of expected to pretend like there never was a, a switch like some of these people they've been saying this all along and critiquing keller and it's like no you were the ones that were 
actually applying uh, what Keller was teaching and trying to get the church to go that direction and at least acknowledge it. Right. Um, so yeah, no good points, Matt, Matt, I appreciate it. Thank you for the support too. Yeah. Thanks. Um, I'm going to, uh, add Andrew, uh, Isker to the stage. Hey, Andrew. Hey, John, how are you? Good. How's the book doing? Oh, it's doing well. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, a lot of people are are uh, are reading it, and 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 the support from people has been awesome. Great, All right. I'm glad to hear that. So, uh, so what do you think about this? We were kind of going back and forth in a uh, private chat earlier today about this whole issue, and uh, um, I can't remember if we disagreed or not. <laughs> I, I can't either. <laughs> yeah, I think we mostly agreed. You know, and I I didn't have a lot of time to follow up and and check in on it, but you know, I I think some. I mean, there's there's so many different um, variables in, in all of this stuff. Um, so like with the, you know, with these younger guys that are kind of, you know, in, in the big Eva world that have indicated, um, some reticence, uh, with, with, with wokeness and, and all of that and with the direction things have gone. Right. I think, I think one of the things that's happening is that they have recognized that, a substantial portion of, of the laity is, is totally against it. Like not even, uh, not just ha- having trepidation, but like a hundred percent against it. They get what it is. And, and, and so they, they see this opening, they see that kind of big Eva in a lot of ways has collapsed. And, and so I, I have a hard time not looking at it like very cynically where it's like, Oh, they're trying to carve out kind of this middle ground. Um, to, to rebuild a little bit of credibility to say, okay, we're not like that. Um, but the, the, you know, leopard really hasn't changed its spots at all, right? There's still these very shrewd cynical operators within that system. Right. And so that's, that's kind of how I look at it until like proven otherwise. Right. Um, and, and how would you prove otherwise? It's right now, we're almost in this like cooling off period where all the stuff that happened in 2020 happened and maybe crazy stuff like that's going to happen here in 2024. Um, and then we'll know. But at, at this point, like, I just look at it like a lot of these guys want to make the new big Eva, which isn't super woke, but isn't necessarily like anti anti woke, anti left wing or, or isn't uh, consciously right wing if we want to put it that way. Right. Yeah. And that's so a good way to put it. Yeah. That's. And, and, and so like, um, like the, the previous fellow Matt, um, said like, how do you, how do you rebuild trust? Like how, do, how, how would these guys make it so that we could trust them? It's, it's the kind of thing where it's like, okay, not only saying, oh, mistakes were made, <laughs> there, there were problems with this, which like, Everybody gets, everybody can see, unless you're just this total ideologue and you're totally uh, complicit in all of it. Um, it would, it would have to be like, no, they're going to take a much further right turn and, and prove it and say things that are actually costly. Right. Right. Um, and so like you have the, you know, yeah, like the example of the early church where, yeah, they wouldn't let people back in the church after they gave up the, um, the Bibles and, and documents and things like that under persecution um, is one thing where that's, that seems like really extreme and it, and it certainly was. Um, but at, at the same time, 
right? We're, we're in a similar circumstance like that now today where they took the side of our enemies during, during this intense period. And now they're walking it back. Like I, I look at like the, that thread of Justin Taylor's that he had on Twitter where he's like, well, both sides were wrong during COVID and, uh, yeah, yeah. And, I talked about know, that mistakes earlier. were made, man. You know? Yeah. I don't know if you covered that, but it was like, no, no, like that's not the right thing to say. The right thing to say is we were totally wrong. We were we were gushing over Francis Collins the entire time and calling and, and treating anybody that had even the least bit of skepticism like they were insane and evil people. And we can never trust you again at this point. Like if if Justin Taylor yeah. or guys like that were to go on and say, "Yeah, we were 100% totally wrong." It's like that's cool, but time to step aside. Like you you had your chance and you totally failed. Um, and so like, but I think the, the thing with Alistair Begg, like I I saw, you know, you guys brought that up too. Like, like that one seems to me like totally different than, than this, where I don't look at him like one of these younger big Eva guys who are just these kind of cynical shrewd operators trying to worm their way up through the, the ranks. Um, he's had, he's been a celebrity for a long time and has been a well-known person in a personage. And for, and the thing right now, like I'm, I'm in the middle of a Twitter controversy on it and, and cause I'm, I'm just like, yeah, this guy's had decades of faithful ministry and everyone's benefited from it, but you have to understand the context of the faithful ministry. It's that like you can, you can preach, you know, 10 or four decades of sermons on justification in the book of Romans and things like that in positive and neutral world. And nobody's nobody's going to like fight you about that. Nobody is, there's not going to be any intense pressure for you to apostatize or to, 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 to show this weakness. But now that exists and, and he's shown it. Now we're in in negative world and like the first opportunity buckles, right. Which, which goes to show like there's a trajectory there. Like you don't just wake up one day and say, yeah, it's totally fine to go to the gay wedding. Right. right? Uh, After decades of faithful ministry, it means like, this this weakness and this this willingness to accommodate evil has been baked into the cake over over many many years and and so even if like next week he goes on and he's like oh i was wrong about that i've received correction i i'm repentant over what i said you shouldn't do that it's still in the back of your mind it's like okay this is this is this is not good like how did you get to the point where you even even could possibly consider that this was wrong. Like one of the, one of the things I, I, I said, you know, privately to some guys, is like, imagine, you know, a, um, a world renowned mathematics professor at like Oxford or Harvard or something like that. Like, this is a guy who knows everything there is to know about math. And then one day, right. He's sitting in an interview and somebody says like, what's two plus two. And he's like seven. <laughs> right. And he, and <laughs> it's like, well, maybe, maybe the math that he was doing, we should call into question a little bit. Maybe he's lost yeah. it. Um, like maybe he shouldn't be this world renowned professor anymore and, and should step aside. Right. That's, that's the way to look at it. Cause like the pressure's on now, man, like it, it, and it hasn't been before. And well, you know, if, like, if with Alistair big, like if it is like, he's getting old and like, that was just a wacky, like he just did theology on the spot. And the first thing that came to his head was like, well, we should be gracious. And that's how it came out. That's still an argument that he, he should probably step aside, you know, cause it's like, yeah, it, an insanity to defense 
has the same result. It's, you know, you're no longer in in that position. Um, And and I know that there's people listening who've probably listened to Alistair Begg for years. I've met him. He's a very nice man. Um, But that was, that was a crazy answer. And, uh, you know, but, but yeah, I think you're right about these other guys. They're um, a lot of them. And I I don't know them all intimately, but Andrew Walker, though, I have been paying attention to him for Mm -hmm. a few years. And yeah, I, I mean, I don't trust him. Like, that's just the bottom line. I don't trust him. He's been on the other side of so many things, usually counter signaling in. And, and I know you talk about this, uh, Andrew Is- Isker, different Andrew. Uh, I know you talk about this, but but it, it, people are going to be upset at me. Some some of you might be. It's effeminate, though, the way that these guys will counter signal where they can't name names, where it's like it's so ambiguous, but it also like. uh everyone knows kind of like where you're trying to drive everyone to. And, um, and Walker has just like the epitome of that in my mind. Cause I, I yeah. just seen on so many issues over the years. I'm like, Oh, there's a Walker tweet. And I'm like, I know what he's talking about, but if you had <laughs> you no context, you wouldn't know. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah. So it's, yeah, so, that, so to, well, if you look at it, one, yeah. one quick, quick thing, if you look at the word conspiracy, I did this once with Andrew Walker, go to his Twitter, do an advanced search conspiracy theory, conspiracy theory. If you go pre 2020, almost without a doubt, it's applied to the right. The right mm. is, you know, conspiracy. Actually, really before 2021, as soon as Trump is elected, all of a sudden, when he uses the word conspiracy, it's applied to the left. They're the conspiracy theorists. I'm like, what happened? Mm. What? You know, it's just weird. And it's like the wind uh, will change things. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, I, I think you're right. And 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 and, and like the the hard thing is. I, I, I just look at it like, okay, so, you know, guys, guys like us, guys, guys that are, you know, friends of ours are, are sort of the vanguard, right? This tiny little group that has raised the alarm on, on different things over the years and like can see the trajectory of things, see where things are at, uh, you know, see the problems that nobody else is seeing and are saying it. And then, Right. When when it's more widespread, when more people are like, oh, yeah, these guys who we thought were nuts are actually right. Like there are all these problems. Then you have these other these, you know, uh, former big Eva types. Right. Kind of jump in and 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 follow the, the path that's been tread by 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 guys like us. Right. And and it's hard not to look at that and think. Are, how are they using this to like their own advantage, right? How are they using <laughs> right. this to? How are they using this to like carve out a space for their own careers and 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 stuff like that? And 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 to bring us back to the point of like 2014 or something, right? If we could just get back to where 2014 was and be where I you know where I was, not not me, but but them, right? Where things were at for me 2014. That's where I really want to be right before wokeness, before all this kind of stuff, that's, that's where we really want to go. And it's like, that's not, that's not possible. It's not, it's not enough to be not woke. It's, it's, you have to be actively anti-woke. You have to be fighting these things and, and like taking the slings and arrows from it. Right. That that's part of it in, in terms of like building trust. Right. Yeah. I want to see these guys get attacked and destroyed and called racist and called bigoted (laughs) and called all this stuff. And until they they show willingness to to go there, right? How can you trust them? Yeah, 
Yeah, they they didn't have to take the uh, pressure that many yeah. of us did, and they seem to be trying to capitalize on the the benefits that are coming from being right about those things when they were not right about those things. Yes, and and that that is it's a frustrating thing. I don't have um, the personal. Yeah, I admit it's frustrating, but I don't have like a a like I'm jealous or like oh that's you know uh, hey look at me like I was saying the right thing before like who cares like I'm glad they're saying the right thing but oh for sure um, yeah but but yeah the motive does I think can be called into question when it, it is such an about face um, yeah and and, and and I don't want to say like I'm I'm imputing motives to people and saying like this is definitely what they're doing I I want to be careful not not to do that. But to say like that, it's still an open question though. Like we shouldn't just simply assume that the motives are always pure either, right? It should be like the jury's out. Is yeah. Well, well, when you have leadership, uh, when you, when you're putting someone into leadership, they need to be tested. That's a biblical principle. Yeah. Uh, they need to be faithful in a little before they're faithful in much. And they've been on, a lot of these guys have been unfaithful. And so, yeah. what do you do with an unfaithful person? Um, well, the, the, the faithfulness has to be reestablished somehow, and it's not going to be by uh, keeping their hands on the steering wheel. Like they're, they can't be uh, near the steering wheel. They, they've already proven that that's not the place for them. So um, the leadership crisis is the biggest thing right now, I think, in evangelicalism. It's how do we get guys uh, that uh, younger, like A.D. Robles, like yourself, um, people who have seen what's going on, who have taken arrows for it, as you said, how do those people climb the institutional ranks to gain um, institutional credibility and authority because they're not allowed in. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, either new institutions have to form that don't have these compromises, you know, or, um, or, or the gates have to be opened. And I don't see any sign that those gates are going to be opened. It's more of like what's happening. It seems to me is that there's a large portion of people in the church, in the pews who see what you and I see mm -hmm. and they're mad about it. But their leaders, there's a complete disconnect. Like the leaders are now hearing some of that and realizing, hey, they're gonna, there's gonna be pitchforks and torches if we don't at least acknowledge something mm -hmm. here. So it, we're gonna go acknowledge something, and uh, that that is at least a very uh, possible motivation here. Mm -hmm. That that's that, that that's what would fit what were the information. Yeah, and so um, so, so they try to quell the mob, so to speak, and at least, you know, bring about somewhat of a unity in their church, please the people who are giving to the church. And in, in the meantime, though, nothing actually changes as far as the leadership's concerned. It's the same people who ran mm -hmm. you into an iceberg last time. So how do we, uh, you know, I don't know, the, the topic of the podcast wasn't really how we get out of that. It was more like, <laughs> how do we handle the people who ran us into icebergs and now pretend like they're going to get us out of it? But um but that I think that's the obvious next question is, yeah. OK, uh, now that we know that they need to go through a process of repentance at the very least, in the meantime, how do we facilitate getting solid people into those positions so that they can be the ones steering the ship? I don't know the answer to that. So it's I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a question about incentives, right? I mean, like you look at, at the way Big Eva was structured, you look at the way uh, churches, denominations, seminaries, things like that. Like um, the, the guys who um, ended up in these positions, right? They, they knew the things that they had to do. They knew the, they knew the tack that they had to take in order to climb the ladder. Right. And so you look at like what happened in 2020, 
right? There's a reason why all those guys lined up the way that they did on all of those things, or even, even the things before that on, on racial justice and every, everything else, right? They knew what the party line was and, and they knew if you, if you deviated from that, you're done, right? You're, you're, you're never going to be, you might be kicked out of your denomination. You might, I, all sorts of problems are, are going to come for you if you deviate from the party line. And so all the incentives were lined up that way for, from the get go, like for, even like the, the, the men who are attracted to go to seminary, right? Before they even go, they know the kind of man that they are going to have to be is one who is going to say, yes, sir. And, and do, uh, and, and tow the party line from, from the bottom all the way to the top. And, and so how do you align incentives in such a way as to get guys who are not like that? Well, like you said, there have, there has to be, um, alternate pathways to, to raise up men who, who are not like that. And the structures that we currently have, right. All the incentives are aligned to produce, right. Even if, even if they move away from wokeness and, and stuff like that, like it's still going to produce guys who are like that, who, whatever from on high, the party line is, uh, from, from the elite consensus on the top, right. They're going to follow that, whatever right. it is. And right. so you need to, you need to, uh, incentivize men who are going to reject that and, and think for themselves. And so how do you, how do you do that is the, you know, million dollar question, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we'll be I, able I've to suggested, But the best I've come up with, I've suggested uh, kind of going to a, a local church model more so, yeah. sort of lo- even more localism. And mm-hmm. I mean, this is kind of what you get at in the Boniface option too, that think locally and uh, what you have control over is all that you can influence really anyway. So yeah. in a local, church there raise up pastors from within people that you have uh, seen grow over the years and not someone who's the new seminary hire you've never met before because you're taking a gamble when you do that it could work out but it might not and and so you know that that's one way i think to do it um starting new institutions i mean american reformer has been kind of a game changer Mm -hmm. i mean i think some of the pressure that's coming on people like andrew walker is coming from american reformer Mm -hmm. uh and, and so um, there is at least there, there was someone who had the foresight and the resources to be able to put an organization together uh, that could band together uh, the, the kind of people you're talking about that were more intelligent and independent thinkers, because th- th- there are a few of them do exist, yeah. but they tend to be disqualified at lower levels. They don't tend to make it up uh, the ranks. And so yeah. uh, anyway. Well, um, I got, you want to plug anything, Andrew, plug your, your podcast or. Oh yeah. Well, uh, Contramundum, I do that with CJ Engel every Friday at 5 PM central. Uh, so you can check that out on, on YouTube or where tomorrow night people get podcasts. Yeah. We're going to, I think we're going to talk about Alistair Begg, uh, <laughs> tomorrow. Nice. So if you want to hear more about that, we'll, we'll discuss that. And, uh, and, and, and these kind of topics, um, because it is, I, I, it's so it's so crucial for people to to start to think through this stuff because this stuff is is going to happen more and more. There's going to be more and more of these defect, you know, seeming defectors from Big Eva that uh, I don't know what to think about them. You know, we should be careful. So yes, yep. All right, excellent. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, I thank appreciate you. it. All right, see you later. Say hi to CJ. All right, um, DD and his creation. I see both of you are in the chat, but your devices are not connected. So um, if you want to connect your device, your webcam and your microphone, unmute it. I will go to you. Uh, If not, I'm just going to take a few questions and comments. 
uh, and then we'll uh, land the plane here. So um, let's see. There's mostly comments. I don't see a whole lot of question marks here, but there's a lot of comments. Uh, so someone says, I must have missed what happened with Big. Okay, you have to go back to the beginning of the podcast. Sorry. Um, let's see. Uh, Contra Mundum is excellent. Yep. I've had CJ on a few times, uh, actually. And uh, I know Andrew's been on before. And, and they, you know, Andrew, um, I should have asked him this when he was on. I think Andrew comes from a m- little more of a theonomic background. And then CJ is more of a paleoconservative uh, background. And they do a show together. I think, though, they probably both, I don't know. I don't know where Andrew's at now. I think he might call himself kind of a paleoconservative. But they definitely bring that um, kind of political understanding to their Christian commentary, which is so rare. Oftentimes on Christian political shows, it's guys who maybe went to seminary or Bible school who know a little Bible. And then they're just trying to like go off what the news says and like, how do we bring the Bible to this? But they haven't actually um, read political thinkers. They don't know politics. Uh, They don't know history. Well, they tend to um, just try to like with a blank slate with their Bible approach a a current issue. And um, sometimes, you know, you get it right that way, but it's um, much better when you have a rich kind of long view. And I I think those guys tend to, that's what they want to do. John, do you have, there's a question. Uh, do you have a favorite theologian books commentary? Um, kinda. Yeah. Uh, I was actually just thinking about this yesterday. So someone was asking me like, who do you listen to? I don't really listen to modern preachers that are popular. This is kind of uh, weird maybe to some people, but I don't, I, there's no major ministry, um, that I, that I listen to consistently anymore. There used to be some, I actually go on sermon audio and I look up Bible passages and topics that I want to know more about. And I download sermons from preachers you've never heard of. And I probably couldn't tell you the names of most of them. So um, that's mostly what I do. The, now, the other thing is I will uh, read some dead people <laughs> sometimes. Um, I, I read some people who are alive, too. But I, as far as favorites, I don't I don't know. I don't really. Um, most of the people that I really like are have been past for a long time. So I like Augustine. Now, he doesn't have like a Bible commentary, but I like I do like Augustine a lot. Um I like to go to Calvin's commentary, to be honest with you. That's usually my first now. Uh it didn't always uh, it wasn't always my first. Uh Turretin. I like to read Turretin's commentary when I can. Uh, although the lately it seems like I go to Turretin's three volume set and like I'm like I want to know more about this passage and he's like, "Oh, he skipped over that one." So um, but, but when he talks about something, uh, I tend to listen to what he has to say. Uh, who else? I know there's another, I, you know, there's this website called free Bible commentary.org. Uh, James Utley, he's a Southern Baptist. He's still alive. He's older, but he put out all his commentaries for free and they're actually really good Bible study tools. They're, they're very simple. They're free. Um, I just, I think that, uh, I don't agree with everything, but it's, they're pretty good in my opinion, um, and very accessible. So I'll go to his stuff. Um, yeah, that's probably enough for now. <laughs> so those are, yeah, that's, those are some of the people I like to go to Luther. You know, I, I go to some pretty standard, like, uh, reformed, uh, thinkers, I, I, I suppose. Um, all right. Uh, other questions. My friend has been a probation on probation at his local church for two years, after a public confession of sin and barred from the Lord's Supper due to suicide and attempt uh, to a suicide attempt and drinking, do you think this is correct? Well, is okay. So he, okay, so he confessed his sin publicly. Whoa, wait a minute, hold the phone. He confessed his sin and he's being barred from the Lord's table. 
on what basis? Um, something doesn't seem right about that. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So why would he be barred from the Lord's table if he's confessing his sin? I don't understand that one at all. Uh, okay, I am going to, uh, yeah, so people are putting in their favorites in the chat box. Uh, Paul Washer, A.W. Tozer. Um, I used to listen to a lot of Paul Washer. I would say if you asked me 10 years ago, I probably would have said Paul Washer. Um, all right, let's um, let, let's uh, finish this slideshow. Believe it or not, I wasn't done. I still have some biblical principles here that I want to talk about in evaluating these questions, and then we'll land the plane. So uh, we'll start uh, here. What should leaders do? These are just some things I thought of. Leaders should demonstrate responsibility. So he who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much, and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Luke 16, 10. I mentioned that earlier. Um, you look at faithfulness over the long period. Be, they should be pure in heart. Proverbs 16, 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I've rejected him, for God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, the Lord looks at the heart. And I think of, uh, in this situation, the fact that in academia and in pastoral roles, um, especially academia, pastoral roles, it is be a benefit to you to look good. Uh, it is really in every field, but in academia, it's, it's not as high of a priority. It, it's the uh, degrees you have and the connections you have and that kind of thing, right? And so th that's how man sees. The Lord, though, doesn't look at that. The Lord looks at the heart. Um, and so that's what you need to look at, I think, when you're looking at a leader. You can't just look at it like, oh, man, he went to this institution and he's so well connected and he's got these degrees and we should follow him. No, that's not how it works. Uh, Luke 16, 13, serve one master. No servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So, you know, if you think, if, if you have reason to believe someone is compromised because they are, uh, they, they are trying to serve two masters. In many cases, I see this as like the pastor or the theologian is trying to serve the congregation or the, the students. And they're also trying to serve the institution. Um, and be part of a guild, right? That gives them kind of like uh, uh, an advantage. You can't have that. Uh, if you're a pastor, your allegiance is to the flock. That's your job. Um, there's not a hierarchy beyond the church that they should be playing to, right? Uh, be tested. First Timothy 3.10. These men must also be first tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. So testing, making sure that this person um, uh, goes through hardship that they come out the other side and you know that they'll be consistent in that. So, and then we should confront brothers in Christ and then restore brothers in Christ. So confront means, um, I, I put a few verses here. First Thessalonians five fourteen. we urge you brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. The question is, you know, some of the guys I talked about on the podcast today, are they unruly? Are they faint hearted? Are they weak? Now, if they're weak, this is a separate question from whether they should be in the positions of influence, but if they're weak, then help them out. Right. And, and I think, you know, well, I forget which one it was. It was one of the guys, you know, I, I don't know a lot about him. I know that in 2020, he went, you know, a little woke and it was kind of uh, probably a, he's a young guy. He's in development. And, you know, th that was a few years ago. And maybe maybe that was just a, a weakness that he had at the time. Well, it's just time to confess and move on. Right. To, to realize or realize you're wrong and move on, perhaps. 
someone who's got a more serious train of pushing the church and had more influence, that's a little different. Um, so there are different circumstances, but this is the grid that I apply. Proverbs 28, 13, he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. He who confess, confesses them, forsakes them, will find compassion. They should confess. That's the, actually the kind thing to do. Uh, Matthew 7 uh, talks about, uh, the, this is the don't judge passage, right? Uh, if you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log in your own eye, how can you say, take the speck out of your own eye? So um, we should confront people who make it. Th this is actually something I, I see that's bad among evangelical leadership is they, they have a, a habit of having logs in their own eyes and seeing the specks uh, in, in other people's, um, you know, making something, making, making a comment that's insensitive in some way becomes like so much worse than like soft peddling same-sex attraction, right? So it's like stuff like that. Uh, restore brothers in Christ too, though. Uh, brethren, even if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you will not be too tempted. So restore people and restore them in gentleness. No, there's acceptance here, right? There's acceptance. There's forgiveness. Trust may be ha have to be built up again, but there's forgiveness. We're brothers. Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. Uh, and then Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And so these, these are just some good verses, I think, um, to you know realize each of us have sin that we have to be forgiven of. And that's where the Lord Jesus Christ comes in. Jesus Christ, uh, the Son of God, uh, the the God-man, though, he's 100% God, 100% man, came to this earth, died on a cross for the sins of his people. And those who repent and believe in him for their salvation and will be put back into a right relationship with God, will receive the Holy Spirit. And that's the good news of the gospel. And it's not our work, it's his work. So that's the podcast for today. I hope that uh, that was helpful to many of you. Uh, again, if you're a patron, uh, you can go to patreon.com forward slash worldview combos uh, or worldview conversation, I think is what it is. It is in the info section for this video and um, in the podcast. Uh, you can find the slideshow for this there. Uh, more coming. Bye now. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.